man, it's a joy to be here. This, this gospel, as we've been working through together, has been, uh, I know for Matthew and I at least, as we meet each week, has been stirring our affections for Christ. And that's our hope every week, but we hope that you get just a little bit of, of that uh, in this time together and in your gospel communities and on your own time reading. Uh, this, this gospel has been rich and deep. So with that, John chapter 10. I was thinking this week as I had the opportunity to uh, sit down with uh, a mentor of mine. Some of you know Keita Andrews. Uh, and, and as we were talking, uh, 25 years ago, I realized uh, God had rescued me, transferred me from the dominion of darkness, brought me into the kingdom of the son he loves. And just uh, sitting down with my mentor who very early on in that process had come alongside and, and, and through his passion for the Lord, specifically his passion for the word of God, his passion for, to make Jesus known, his passion for evangelism, his passion for the nations, all of that got deep into my bones uh, as I met with him uh, week after week, year after year. And so those became my passions. And, and that's my heart, that that would be your passion, that you wouldn't settle for the American dream. You wouldn't settle for just living life, but that you would be passionate about the things God is passionate about. And so as I looked at those 25 years, that's a huge evidence of grace in my life that God would put a man like that in my life. And I, I would get to spend time with him this week. And as I was looking back, just amazed at where God has taken me and, and, and places that I never even knew existed. And, and I got to move there and live on three continents and, and, and be about uh, planting churches amongst the military community and, and going to the Czech Republic. So many highs. That, that he gave me a wife and, and four beautiful daughters and, and, and just, just rejoicing over all that. But, but also realizing that over 25 years, I'm not nearly where I think I should be. I, I still have this sin in my life. Like, and it has shrapnel. It, 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 when it goes off, it, it affects my relationships. It affects my daughters. And, and I grieve that. Like I should be further along by now. And yet I, I just think how God has, has, has been faithful. But then, then there's been times where I feel like my prayers have, have gone nowhere. There's been times where I've read this word and I say, this is close to your heart, God. And so we're, we're going to go after that. Lord, you say you, you care for the, 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 the orphan. And so we, we pursued adoption. And we're like, we already know her, actually, and we, we, we've been spending time with her. And so uh, she was nine years old, and, and we began the process, and, and uh, it was very, very difficult. It took three years, and during those three years, we're like, Lord, we don't get it. You, you say this is close to your heart, but, but as we go through it, it doesn't seem like you're answering our prayers. And in the midst of that, as we're going through that, I, I shared last week, as my mother was diagnosed with ALS, and finally we got to bring our, our adopted daughter to Japan, the U.S. government said, you can't come in here with her for a couple years. We're like, but, but we want to get back. We want to get back to, to spend time with my mom who's dying. And they're like, no, you cannot. And so we waited, and we waited, and we prayed, and we said, Lord, you, you, want, you want us to honor, honor the orphan, and you want us to honor our parents, and yet it doesn't seem like where you're leading us is, is, is in a good place. And so finally, it looked like maybe, just maybe we, we would get the paperwork. And, and a week before we got the paperwork, said, yes, you can come back to the States. I got the call from my sister that my mom had died. 
And so I flew back by myself. And again, I'm just like, God, I, I don't understand. Like, I'm just trying to follow your will. And it doesn't seem like, like you're, you're leading anywhere in this. So finally got to move back, but then we moved to the Czech Republic because, again, my heart is for the nations, and, and, and there is a time that is coming. Whether you want to join God's purposes or not today, a time is coming when every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather before the throne and worship Him as King, and Jesus invites us to be a part of that process and not waste our lives. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to uh, the most atheist country in the world, and I'm going to share the gospel. It's going to be amazing. And so we fly there. We check our kids into the public school. Good luck with that, kids. I know you don't know any words, but you'll get it. You'll get it faster than we do. And so they do it, and they, 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 they bear up under it, and they, uh, they, they suffer for a little bit. I'm like, that, that kind of hurts, Lord. But nonetheless, it's, it's worthy. It's worthy of, uh, of our time. And so I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's preach the gospel. But first, you need to learn Czech. Uh, yeah, that happens to be the second, maybe the third most difficult language for English speakers in the world. And so uh, you, you've preached the gospel for many years now, Mark, but now I want you stand, sitting in front of a, a computer screen and just learning Czech verbs day after day after day for month and month and years. And just to get out, to, to be able to have a basic conversation so people think that I've got the intelligence of maybe a kindergartner. I'm like, who is this idiot? And again, I'm like, Lord... What, what are you doing? And finally, when, when, when the light started to peek open, and I'm like, you know what we can do? There are 80,000 uh, internationals in this city, and they all speak English because they're in the tech industry. What we can do, we, we can plan an English-speaking international church. And so we, we began to gather a team. We began to uh, cast vision. We, we, we picked a Sunday. We're, we're going to go plant a church in this city, in this country. And as we uh, were headed towards that, in that moment, God said, Come home. Come home. You need to care for your father-in-law who has Alzheimer's. I'm like, God, what a waste. But I, I went all the way over here, and now you, you want me to come back? What am I going to do? How am I going to feed my family? So I, I applied for jobs. Uh, like Matthew, I, I sent out resumes and uh, mostly never heard anything back, uh, mostly heard no, uh, mostly heard, uh, we don't want anything to do with you. We're looking for a, a better pastor than you, but thank you very much. Uh, so good luck with that. I'm like, okay. So, so I had these plans, and it's not like they were bad plans. Like, I, I see these plans in, in the Word of God, and, and God says, I'm going to lead you somewhere else. And so in those moments, I'm always faced with this question, can I follow Jesus comprehensively? Meaning in every area of my life, in my relationships, in my career, in my money, can I follow him comprehensively? Because honestly, there, there are some areas where I'm better than not. Can I follow, follow him unconditionally? Like, like regardless of where he decides he wants to lead us, is he still worthy of being followed? Can I follow him personally? Meaning, can I follow him for who he is, not who I want him to be? Not, not the, the little butler Jesus who just comes and serves my purposes. And every time that happens. See, we live with this illusion that we have control of our lives. We live with this illusion, especially in the suburbs, with our manicured lawns and our manicured families and our manicured career paths. It seems like most of the days that you have control over your life, that you are your own shepherd until you're not. 
until uh, things get derailed, until all the hope that you put in that relationship get, gets off track, until uh, you don't get the promotion. In fact, you get fired, until you, uh, whatever the case may be. The fact of the matter is, in this room right now, we don't believe it, but it's true. All of us are one phone call away from having our world turned upside down. The doctor could call tomorrow and say, the test results came back. We need to talk to you. They're not looking good. And everything will change in that moment. You could get a call from your spouse that says, you know, I'm done. I found someone else. And your world will be turned upside down. You you can fill in the blanks. You know that happens. Sometimes uh, that has already happened to some of you. Some of you, that will happen this year. We we don't think it will, but, but it might. And eventually it will. And in those moments, the the question remains, will you follow him? The question remains, will you follow him comprehensively? Will you follow him unconditionally? Will you follow him personally? That's, That's when the rubber meets the road in those moments. See, because that's the question of the Bible. Do you trust me? Will you follow me? It was the question to Adam and Eve. And they looked at each other. Does God really have our best in mind? We don't think so. And they went their own way. But it was the question for Abram. It was the question for Moses. It was the question for Joshua. It was the question for Ruth. It was the question for uh, Ezekiel. It's the question for Jonah. It was the question for Habakkuk. Will you follow me? Will you trust me? Even when you can't see what tomorrow holds. And this book, uh, it was the question for the disciples, and, and John's gospel is, is trying to put forth to us that, yes, you can trust him, not because he's going to tell you everything's going to be smooth sailing, not because things are actually going to be great as far as you define them, but because of who he is. And so John's been putting forth Jesus. He's been putting forth Jesus as the bread of life, as, as the light of the world, as the, the savior of the world, the, the one that brings new life. In, in many different ways, John has put forth Jesus. And this week, he's going to put forth Jesus again. Jesus has these I am statements in, the John, in John's gospel. And each one tells us something about the nature and character of him. But this one that we come to this week is the most intimate. It not only says something about Jesus, it says something about us. And it says something about who we are in relationship to him. So if you have your Bible, now we'll go ahead and work our way to John chapter 10. And I'll just pray for us as we uh, put our eyes on the text um, that he would open our eyes. Father, we come before you now. Uh, Lord, you know every person in this room. You know every, uh, every challenge, every question mark, every, um, every valley that people are going through, have been through, will go through. Um, and so I pray now that you would do what only you can do. You would open blind eyes, let deaf ears hear, let our hearts sing once again with the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me just set this up. Last week, if you were here, we looked at this man who was born blind, and uh, Jesus does something physically in his life that he does spiritually. Progressively, that man gets sight, and by the end, he sees Jesus, he savors Jesus, and he worships Jesus. That's the natural progression. But at the same time, this other group of people that are known as the lights for Israel, known as the shepherds of Israel, known as the leaders and the respected people, the Pharisees, they are, their eyes are getting dim 
dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and they're getting blind. And so it's in that context that, that they've confronted Jesus once again, as they have, and they've asked, are we also blind? And he says, yes, you are. And then he turns to chapter 10. You know, that wasn't in the original. Uh, so he continues in this conversation, and he tells another way to tell the story. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He's talking about the Pharisees. He says, you're frauds. You haven't come the right way. You don't really represent God, and you're a thief and a robber. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. Now let's just stop real, real, real quick right there. So every time we get together in our gospel communities and we open the word, uh, the first two questions we ask are very simple. This is why anybody can be in a gospel community. You should not be intimidated by our gospel communities. We simple, simply open the word, we read a passage, and we ask two questions to start off with. What does it tell us about God, and what does this tell us about ourselves? And so if we apply those questions right now, well, what Jesus is saying right away is that he is a shepherd and that we are sheep. He's the shepherd. We're sheep. That's not a compliment. Um, sheep are not exactly the brightest animals on the farm. Uh, 1984, they're not running the camp, if you read that book. Uh, sheep are are, well, quite frankly, it, it's, it's not a compliment. Sheep, sheep get lost. Sheep uh, wander away. They, they, they don't pay attention. They're kind of helpless. You'll never come across a, a pack of wild sheep because they can't survive on their own. They, they never would. Um, they're, 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 not, they're not real aware of themselves. They're, they're not aware of, uh, of their sheepishness, if you will. And so, so the first thing we see is not a compliment, but it says, you're sheep, you get lost, you're kind of dumb. You're like, well, I don't, I don't like the way that, that feels. Well, well, in light of eternity, in light of who God is and who you are, you're, you're kind of dumb. And just to prove that, you know this, you know this to be true. So those of you that are old enough, if you think about yourself 10 years ago, you might think of yourself as, well... I needed some guidance. I was a sheep back then. I needed some, I didn't really know enough back then. If you're 15, you look at your 12-year-old self and be like, man, I knew nothing. But now I have arrived. Sheep always think that they've just arrived. Like, I, I'm over that now. But here's the deal. You know this is true. 10 years from now, you're going to look back at yourself right now and say, I was kind of dumb. I, I needed some guidance. I was, I was kind of a, a sheep. So, so that's the first thing. But, but if you can understand your sheepishness and you can understand that, that he is a shepherd, and we'll see, he's like, unlike any other shepherd, then there's hope for you. Because the, the, the other thing about sheep is they're also the most valuable. This is why it makes sense that Jesus would say a, a robber and thief tries to come into the side and steal the, the sheep. This is why it makes sense that Jesus would tell the parable in Luke 15 that uh, of the 99 sheep and the one that was lost, because the one that was lost was extremely valuable to the shepherd. In the first century, you didn't, you didn't have the stock market. You didn't have your banks. Your worth, your financial future, your value was tied up in your sheep. And so we're valuable to him. We're, we're worth something to this shepherd, the one who uh, has all things. He says, you're valuable. And then he says this, he says, uh, the sheep hear his voice. 
So uh, in that, still in the Middle East today, in that time, and, and with shepherds at night, they would, they would bring them in, maybe five or six families would bring them into a pen at night, and the sheep would uh, do their sheep thing, because you can't leave them out at night, because they'll wander off, and you'd set up a, a gate guard, and you'd kind of guard the sheep. But in the morning, uh, five or six shepherds would go out to different parts of the field, and they would make a distinctive call or whistle, and the sheep, uh, amongst hundreds of them, the 40 or 50 of, of that shepherd would, would come out amongst the sheep, and they would go with the shepherd. And so each shepherd would do that, and then they didn't lose any sheep that way because the sheep loved the voice of their shepherd. Now, that's an amazing truth, but it gets even better because that's not all it says. It says that they hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, this is unheard of. That it's one thing that a sheep would understand the distinct call or whistle of the shepherd, but this shepherd has named his sheep. He knows his sheep. He, call, he gives them a name, and he calls them by name. So in the Bible, we see that the name is significant. The name invokes a status, like, like to have a name. We're all, we all want a name for ourselves, even today. So Genesis chapter 11, uh, they're building the Tower of Babel, and they say, let us make a name for ourselves. And we want to be named, and so we go on social media, or we try to climb the career path, or we just want someone to give us a name that says we're worthy, we're valuable, we're worth it. And this passage tells us that the shepherd gives us a name. The name also invokes a mission. So when, when Jesus comes to Simon, he says, you're no longer Simon. Your mission has changed. Uh, you are now Peter uh, because on this rock, I'm going to build my church. You, you've got a new name, Peter. Abram, he comes to Abram and he says, I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham because you're going to be the father of many nations. So it invokes status, mission, distinctiveness. So, so the name is distinct. Now, now, God does this with other things. Psalm 147 verse 4 tells us that, that God created the heavens and he created each star 400 billion times 400 trillion stars and he gives each of them a name. In Revelation chapter 2, it says, for, for the saints as they gather before the throne, he will give each one a name that only you will know and he knows. He give a distinct name. This means that Jesus cares about you. But, but, but there's more to it. He calls, and his sheep hear his name, and they call them by name. Now, think about this. This shepherd, there was a time outside of time when there was nothing, and his voice called out, and the universe leapt into existence. And that voice now calls you personally, not just generally. I, I hope some of you come and follow me. No, he says, uh, Johnny. Ross, Bob, Samuel, come, come, come out. He calls you by name. This, this, is, this is a unique shepherd. This is the voice that spoke the universe. Colossians 1 says that by him, all things were created by Jesus, and he holds all things together. And that person, that, that entity, that, that deity calls you by name. So that's the first part, that you are a sheep, 
And if you know your, shepherd, your sheepishness, then you can hear the name when he calls your name. But, but they don't get it. The Pharisees don't get it. They're blind to this. And so uh, we, we see this. Um, the sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. They're blind to it. They can't hear, at least the Pharisees. But for you and me, my prayer is that you would hear his voice and you would understand. So drop down to verse 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, so, so Jesus says, uh, I, I have left heaven in glory. I've, I've put on human flesh. I've come so that you might have life and have it uh, abundantly. That's uh, overflowing life, overjoyed life, unstoppable life. This, this, this means we should ask some questions of that. How? How is he going to give us a life, that kind of life, that kind of life that we were always intended to live from the very beginning? How do we get that abundant life? And secondly, what is the abundant life? Because we might have our definitions like, that would be really cool if I could do that. If I could get hyped up on Red Bull and go on the cross tour, that, that seems like abundant life. No, that's not abundant life. That's not what he's saying here. So there's something more. He says, so we ask the question, how and what is abundant life? Verse 11, we see the how. I am the good shepherd. The word good there could also mean the worthy shepherd, the true shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. Now this is unheard of, right? Like, that, that, that's totally upside down. No, no, the sheep exist to serve the purposes of the shepherd. The sheep are used and abused until the, that, that they have no more use, and then they're, they're murdered, they're sacrificed for their meat or for some sort of offering. But, but this gets turned upside down. He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's unthinkable. That's crazy. You might say, well, if the sheep are so valuable for you, you might risk your life. You might be willing to risk your life if danger came. Certainly we would understand that, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Five times in this passage, he'll say specifically, I lay down my life. I lay down my life. I lay down my life. What he's showing is that when his death comes, when his betrayal comes, when he gets tortured, when he gets murdered, it's not just the culmination of unfortunate events surrounding his life. He's saying, no, I've I've got control of this. In fact, that's the reason I came. How you are going to get abundant life is I'm going to exchange my life for your dead life. We read it already, Ephesians 2. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. We were spiritual zombies walking around, living, breathing, but spiritually dead. And so we needed life. And Jesus said, I'll come and give you my life. Again, some shepherds would say, I'd be willing, but it would never be the goal. This is the goal of Jesus. This is the purpose of Jesus. And more than that, we see in uh, verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. 
So again, you might even find some uh, noble person, some sacrificial person that will die for someone else, but they can never say, and I will come back to life for you as well. Only this shepherd can do that. He says, I'm going to turn things upside down. You're not going to serve my purposes. I'm going to serve your purposes. Where there was death, there's going to be life because I'm going to lay down my life. That's, that's the how. How is he going to do that? But then we see, well, what is that? What, what does that mean? Does it mean I just get to, to live however I want? That's not what it means. Verse 12. He who is a hired hand and is not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Again, this should blow our minds. This is now starting to get at what is abundant life. This is abundant life, that, that what Adam and Eve had in the garden before sin, that they could walk with God, that they could commune with God, that they were friends with God, that is now available once again in Jesus because he lays down his life and he conquers death in the grave and he raises up his life with the power of God. And so now we get to know him and he gets to know us. The word know is very significant here. It's the word gnosko. It doesn't just mean, I know about you, I know some of you. It means uh, to experientially know, to relationally know. It's, it's the knowing that, that a husband has for his wife. And, and it's a knowing that grows by quality over time, over time. And because he is infinite, uh, we, we will continue forever and ever and ever in our growing and our knowing. And then just in case that wasn't clear, he says this in verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Think about the type of relationship that the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit have with one another in community together. Jesus is inviting us in. That is abundant life. That is life as it was always meant to be lived. But notice what the Good Shepherd doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm going to make it all smooth sailing for you. He just says, I'm the good shepherd. You're going to experience abundant life. You're like, well, that sounds pretty good, Jesus, because I wanted a bigger house anyway. No. Well, that sounds pretty good because I want some better vacation. No. You're going to know me, and, and, and you're going to be with me, and you're going to follow me as the good shepherd. It, it reminds me of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia reading to my kids when they were smaller, uh, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, when they first start to hear about uh, Aslan, the, the Christ figure as a lion, and the kids are kind of disturbed by that image. And so they're, they're meeting with the beaver family, and, and it goes like this. Uh, the be Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Is the shepherd safe? No, <laughs> he's not safe. But he's good. I, I think of uh, Corey Tinboom, who, who spent 
uh, time in the concentration camps uh, of Ravenclaw, and his, her sister died there. And as she came out, her faith was on fire, and she shared the gospel all over the world. And, and one time she said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Jesus is saying, you can trust me. So, so sometimes, uh, in, in following Jesus, sometimes it, it's nice and sunny, and you're on the side of the mountain, it's green grass, and you're like, this is awesome. I, I could eat here all day. And, and then the shepherd stands up, and Jesus says, come on, follow me. And you're like, but, but right here is good. I'm, I'm safe. I'm comfortable. I don't see any wolves. It's clear skies. I'm going to stay here. He says, no, follow me. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Follow me. And you say, okay. And you start to go down the hill, and you're like, uh, the grass is getting a little skimpier here, Jesus. I, I don't like that. Can we go back? He says, no, follow me. Follow me. The, ro- the, the clouds start to roll in, and you're like, it's getting kind of dark. I, I don't know wh- where, where to go. And in that moment, you have a choice as a, as a sheep. You either bail on the shepherd and, and try to head back to where you think you knew a good life was again, or you get really close to the shepherd. <laughs> you're like, it, it's getting scary. It's getting scarier. Uh, the, the trees are, what was that? That was a, I, I hear wolves, Jesus. And so, so, so keep me next to your side. Uh, th- what is this place, Jesus? It looks like a, it's a valley of the shadow of death. Why would you take us to the valley of the shadow of death? And he just says, follow me. Follow me. I'm the good shepherd. How, how do we know you're the good shepherd? Because I'll lay my da- life down. I purchased this reputation with my life. You can follow me. But, but it's scary, Jesus. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's not safe. But, but uh, where, where else am I going to go? I'm going to stick with you. And, and some of you have experienced that. Some of you are in that right now. You're in the valley of the shadow of death. And you have this question before you. Will you trust me? completely, comprehensively? Will you trust me unconditionally? Will you trust me uh, to know that I have your best? Whatever I bring in your life, whatever phone call you get, know that I am for you and and I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And this is part of the journey. So we're faced with that question. We're faced with the question, will we follow him completely in every circumstance? I think all of us, there might be areas where we're more willing to. Like maybe finances isn't a thing, man. You're just generous. You're not afraid. And others are like, man, that's my safety. That's my security. I can't give that up. I'm going to white knuckle that, Jesus. And he says, you can trust me. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's um, just you feel like God is telling you to, to go across the street and, and share the gospel with your neighbor. And that seems scary to you. He says, you can trust me. You can follow me comprehensively, but you can follow him unconditionally as well. That means in every circumstance, even when life doesn't seem to make sense to you. One of the commentaries I read was a pastor who was in his previous life, uh, not reincarnated life, but before he became a pastor, he, he was a shepherd of sheep. And so he has some amazing insight. He says, you know, when, when a sheep gets lost and you go out and find them, they don't necessarily just come running up to you happy to see you. They, they, they're scattered. They, they, they might be uh, afraid. And so they start running. And so because they're valuable to you, you run and you tackle the sheep and you slam them down and the sheep's stunned and you tie their legs and you put them on your shoulder and you carry that sheep back to the sheepfold. 
said, now sometimes the same sheep will continue to get lost, continue to, to wander off, and just not getting it, not understanding the community life of the sheep. And so uh, sometimes, uh, in, in rare cases, but occasionally, you'll have to go grab that sheep, slam him down, and break one of his legs, and then bind the leg and then put it on your shoulders. And for the next several weeks, walk with the sheep on your shoulders. And in that time, there's a relationship and intimacy that's developed between the the sheep and the shepherd that when it's healed, that sheep is right by his side the whole time. And some of you, you feel like God has slammed you down and broken your leg. But know this, he's the good shepherd. He laid down his life for you. He knows what he's doing. He's leading you to abundant life with him. So follow him unconditionally. Follow him personally. He invites you to know him. That's abundant life. You you know, uh, the Christian life isn't just uh, when you die, you get to go to heaven and and see everyone that you miss from, from earth. That's not the gospel. The Christian life is when you get the gospel, you get Jesus. And so that's why you get abundant life. That's why you get everlasting life now because you can have Jesus now. It doesn't matter when you die. You can start that now. That's the gospel. That's the pursuit. That's what we gather for. Uh, One other passage in the Bible that is famous with the shepherd theme is Psalm 23. Some of you have it memorized. But now in light of what we just saw in John chapter 10, look at Psalm 23 again. Says the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, that sounds pretty good. He leads me beside still waters. I like still waters. He restores my soul. Yes. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Okay, I, you, we can do that for your namesake. Whatever. This is good. Good sheep shepherd relationship. But then verse four even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then something amazing happens. Something changes in this psalm. We've been talking about a shepherd and sheep. But then verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever something's happened. The sheep are no longer sheep. Sheep don't sit down at a table to eat with the shepherd. The sheep have become friends. More than that, they become sons and daughters. They become family members. They shall dwell in the household, the family of the Lord forever. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He he became a sheep so that we can become sons and daughters. Isaiah 53 says, like a lamb led to the slaughter, he went to the cross for us. So now you can sit with him as a friend. You can dwell with him in his house forever. This is good news. But there's one last thing in this passage, and you cannot miss this. We have a tendency to miss this because we still believe that if we follow Jesus, he'll just lead us to nice pasture side, and we can live our life safe, comfortable, secure, and do whatever we want. But verse 16 tells us otherwise. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. What's this fold? He's talking to Jewish people. He's talking about the Jewish fold. He says, out of, out of the Jewish fold, they're going to come to me, and they're going to, but, but there's other sheep. There's other sheep all around the world that are mine. He says, I have other sheep 
that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you see the connection here? Do you see the implication for your life? If Jesus says other sheep, that means Jesus is going to get other sheep. Now, unless you have a Jewish background, praise God for that, because he's brought you into the fold. But if abundant life is with Jesus, that means we go with Jesus. That means we go with Jesus. Jesus, you're going across the street? All right, I'm going with you. I'm going to share the gospel with my neighbor. Jesus, Jesus, you're going across the city? All right, well, I, I want to be with you, so I'm going to go with you. We don't get the option to just say, Jesus, you go there and come back. Jesus, you're going to the uh, other side of the earth because you have other sheep and you want me to go with you? The, the, the implication isn't like, oh man, that sucks. No, I want to be with Jesus. I get to go? I get to go on mission? Like that's why we exist as a church, right? Like let's not build something for our, our let's not build a sheep pen and just eat all the grass right here. Let's go on mission with Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us. Lord, thank you even for your charge to us. But before the charge, we heard your voice call us by name. And if there's anyone in here that maybe has heard your voice for the very first time and want to respond by grace through faith to trust you, to turn from their sin and say, I I give everything I know of me to you, Jesus, and I want to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, show that person that they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. For the rest of us, Lord, help us to uh, trust you comprehensively, follow you comprehensively, follow you unconditionally, follow you personally, get to know you, and then follow you wherever you would lead us, that you would rescue and redeem more sheep through us. What an incredible, incredible privilege that would be. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.